Welcome to the TARDIS Tapes. Do you think that the Thals have a moment of silence for all of the Daleks that they killed? Just mercilessly and without... <laughs> like, before, like, a sporting event or something, do you think they have a moment of silence, or do they do they not really worry too much about that? I want to say no. I... <laughs> This is a great question. Like, did they bury them all in a mass grave, or did they just leave them there like furniture? I think... I also just want to say they left them there, like <laughs> garbage cans full of... Cause the, we haven't seen the Daleks at this point in the show, but I think they're, like, baby-sized. They'll decompose. It seems like it, yeah. If you just give it, like, a month. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it it kind of seemed like you know you could just babies. I don't know. It'll decay on its own, and then later on you can turn these into trash cans or something. But they're going to be tough to move otherwise. I I honestly think that them being trash cans is the most sensible mm-hmm. way to go about things. From trash cans they come to trash cans they go. That's in Dalek scripture. <laughs> That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. In a way. Uh huh. <laughs> Welcome to what do we name this? You'll have to, you'll have to cut this out. What do we? we the TARDIS. We're, tapes. we're calling it the TARDIS tapes, and we're not cutting oh, that. Not unless you <laughs> edit this episode. <laughs> I've all, I've I've already forgotten uh, the name of our podcast. It's a bad Welcome sign. To the we TARDIS want a memorable tapes. title. <laughs> I think I think it is memorable. I think I'm just. Here, let's go about this this way. I'm not cutting anything, but all right, listener, sit down. We need to have a, hold on. We need to have a talk with you for a minute. We've settled on a name for the podcast. Now I don't know how how you're going to feel about this, but but just try this on for size. The TARDIS tapes it might sound a little weird. Just just I like it. It rolls off the tongue. Yeah, just just let it roll around in your mouth a couple times. Let it out. The TARDIS tapes. The TARDIS tapes. Yeah, it has a good no? mouthfeel. Let us know. It's way too late by the time you're hearing this for us to change it. It's already the name of the RSS feed, and I assume those are immutable. But, I mean, what else are you going to do? It would be such a bad idea to change your podcast several episodes <laughs> in yeah. from its publication. Uh-huh. The TARDIS Tapes. I'm mm-hmm. Drake. And I'm Christian. And he's he's Christian, yeah. Co-host, whatever. We don't have job. <laughs> there, there was titles. just this enough of a pause stuff. that I. W- well, I uh, do. You want to talk about your qualifications before we begin? Oh yeah. Well, I'm a, a you. If you're a chemical, you may know me from my work as a chemist. I I edit I edit this podcast. That's my full time job. <laughs> he sells tacos. That's his job. But like on a grant, he like several like, abstractions I'm removed I'm from the actual, chef. the actual taco transaction. He manipulates like millions of tacos at a time. I, I solidify, I, I, I am the, the thing that makes the idea of taco and the reality of taco connect. Mm-hmm. Without, without me, you can't go from that, that wonderful taco floating in the ether to the mm-hmm. taco floating in your the stomach <laughs> acid 
And without us, it just doesn't. You happen. go from the idea of knowing what happened in these episodes of Doctor Who to the reality of knowing what happened in these episodes of Doctor Who, except maybe for these two episodes, because the two episodes we're talking about, I don't, I still don't think I know what happened in these two episodes. You know, I don't think that the writers know what happened. It was <laughs> thrilling, though. Uh huh. This was this. These episodes were, I think, very high in uh, drama, very high mm-hmm. in excitement, mm-hmm. very low in logic. <laughs> uh, tough to yeah. follow. Mm-hmm. But I was so, also just, I was on board for it. Let's, yeah. let's start. Let's talk about it. What, what yeah, yeah. Uh, we mentioned last time that these are bottle episodes. So they were spending the whole time inside the TARDIS. The door opens a couple of times, but there's just a bright light on the other side of it. I didn't have any issue with it being a bottle episode. No, that was fine. Well, so, I mean, just obviously we got to start out with we ended on a cliffhanger, which I just even missed at the end of the last episode. But we get it again. Don't worry. Um, The TARDIS starts to start up and then everything shakes and everybody falls on the ground. Yeah. And and then... They all wake up with extremely mild amnesia. Yeah. Uh, some more An than others. An extreme but... case of mild amnesia. Yeah. Everybody immediately doesn't remember who anybody is, and then maybe a minute later remembers everything <laughs> fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it is, it's, it's everybody, it seems like. Uh, Barbara wakes up first and is going around and checking on everybody. Um, it's, these are hard episodes to summarize in order because the sequence is not actually like the, these episodes are a mystery story, right? Like the, the question throughout these episodes is what is wrong with the ship? Right? Right. Um, and there's something wrong with the ship and there's also something wrong with all the people. Yeah, you get, I mean, I, so this is a two-parter. Of mm-hmm. course. Um, in the first part, you get nothing. <laughs> Absolutely. The, the first part is is a fever dream mm-hmm. that you don't wake up from because it just ends. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, I guess... <laughs> we do get let's, some answers in the second half. Let's jump ahead. I didn't think these episodes were very good, and you maybe liked them quite a bit. So I guess we're here for you to prove me wrong about these episodes not being very good. These episodes had heart, and uh-huh. I will prove you wrong. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, I, I maybe like the I easiest like thing, because I think that our listeners might be feeling the same feeling that I had watching these episodes. So maybe the easiest thing is, can you explain to me the answer to the mystery? Like, what actually went wrong to cause all of the other problems? <laughs> Now, I'll give you a minute to think about it, and I will explain what the yeah. problems are. One... I don't have to think about it. Oh, okay, go ahead. I've... No, I've got the answer, but do you want to explain the problem? Sure, okay. So, one, you? the ship was shaking around, and everybody fell on the ground, and now they're all unconscious. Everybody walked the dinosaur. Uh, two, they all have amnesia. Very temporary amnesia, but they do have this amnesia thing happening. Three... Various things on the ship are breaking in not super clear ways. Like, 
the the vending machine it can give you water but if you push the button for water it tells you that it's out of water and then it gives you water whatever four everybody's just randomly trying to kill each other <laughs> and that's you know presumably related to the amnesia it's not super clear because they'll wake up and they won't know who they are and then a few minutes later some yes you know, susan especially but all of them really will at some point say you're here to betray me I should probably try to stab you. Which doesn't really make any sense because they've already gotten there. Like, they already remember who everybody is again. Uh, five, the, the like ship... Extreme uh, paranoia. Yeah, extreme paranoia. Uh, the ship is giving nonsense inputs, or outputs, I guess. Like, the doors are opening and closing, and it doesn't make sense. Nobody told them to do that. Uh, now, here's where we're going to get weird. Because six is... Time is gone? Question mark? And here I'm going to say, no, it's not. But the characters are talking about it like it is. And the way that that is presented is when everybody looks at a clock, their eyes get blurry and they all, all the actors freak out. I think I've got all of the major ones. That's all of it. Okay, so those are the conflicts. And those are those are sort of the pieces of the mystery that we're... we're our little breadcrumbs to what we think the problem is. So what was the problem? So this was ridiculous in the episode, and it's going to feel even more ridiculous <laughs> articulating it. Uh-huh. But the doctor hit hit reverse too hard at the end of the last serial, and the button got stuck. Uh-huh. The TARDIS reversed all the way to the beginning of time, and is now stuck there in an emergency mode, trying to communicate uh-huh. with the cr- the crew of the TARDIS. Right? It's a it's a ship. We can call it crew. Um, instead of so, this is a ship that is intelligent in some way, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of I don't know, saying like on a display, there's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. The the ship has essentially made an escape room mm-hmm. <laughs> for the crew uh-huh that they have 10 minutes to solve even though like it's not it's it's and it's being five minutes to solve. they have five minutes to solve it mm-hmm. even though time is gone yeah because i think the tardis has some kind of psychic field that is causing distress and paranoia and everybody and is also messing with their sense of chronology yeah or at least their their uh, eyes' ability to focus when they look at a clock. I guess, yeah. So he hit uh, basically the back button on a browser. And his mouse broke so that it was always clicking. So it kept on holding down on the back button on the browser. And his computer said, oh crap, that's going to go back to the beginning of time which I think for computers is 1981 or something. Anyway, uh, depends on which time system. I think some of them start in 1970. I'm, I'm pretty sure it would just back up to that gif of... Oh, the dancing baby. Your yeah, you're right. Back up to a, the dancing baby, that's it. If you just hold down on the back button long enough, eventually you get to the dancing baby <laughs> gif. Uh, yep. And then the computer says, oh no, that will destroy everything. Uh, that baby already almost destroyed everything once, and we only barely stopped it, you know, so that's going to destroy everything. So I'm going to detect this, and the way I'm going to solve this problem 
is by giving the person using the computer amnesia and making them try to kill their friends. I'm also going to make it hurt when they look at clocks or when they walk near my control panel. Show seemingly random landscapes on the monitor. Yeah, apparently random landscapes on the monitor that are apparently chosen to convey specific information, but not just display a message on the monitor as computers are wont to do. I didn't really understand why the environment outside was sometimes acceptable and sometimes not acceptable, and that's what... that So, the... The monitor would show like I don't I don't remember the exact image. It show a beach, uh-huh. and that then the doors would open, and then that means like everything's good outside, and then it would show, you know, any space, Arizona. Yeah, <laughs> and then it would be it would close the doors and be like, ah, you're not going there. Mm-hmm. They're at the beginning of time. I don't even understand. None of those are there. Yeah, so you shouldn't be going out the doors no matter what. And they even at one point established... And it wouldn't be it wouldn't be vacillating. In a very, the sand is freezing moment. Uh, they had established by having the characters go and stand by the door as it opens. There's nothing but space outside. And they like, re- I think it's Susan reads the line and really overacts it. I will say, I, I think that some in quite a few scenes, the acting suffered in this in these couple episodes. And that was one of my issues with it. I don't fault the actors because I think it's that the script doesn't make sense. But they kind of don't know what to do with it except to really overread everything. Mostly agree. Um, I think that for everybody but... Um... What's his name who plays the first doctor? Uh, William, William Hartnell. Hartnell. I think William Hartnell. I think William Hartnell killed it. Oh, and he's fantastic. Else was overacting. I do think, I think that he, there like, is a the, he he's part of the reason I like this episode so much. Sure. There's a monologue towards the end of the second episode that I sort of feel like William Hartnell is reading the lines like he is seeing them for the first time as he is giving the monologue. Like, somebody's holding a card up, and he's like, that's what I'm saying now? Okay. And it's really overdone, and it's like four words at a time, with everyone being the most extreme emotion he's ever had. Even though he clearly has had this whole thought right at the beginning of it. And so it doesn't make sense that he's only having the emotions as he gets to the lines. And, again... Like, it's sort of the grand conclusion of the episode, I guess. Like, the mystery doesn't really make sense, so it's not really solved. But... This is supposed to be the solution to it. So I think he's he's bringing the tone that the episode needed to have. It's just that the script can't support it. So the tone doesn't seem like it makes any sense. There, I- there are a couple of instances of him actually flubbing the line. And mm-hmm. just... They just, just left it in. Yeah. Right yeah, it's great. And I was going to bring those in. up too. He just... I mean, and he hails it like a pro, right? It just goes right straight back into it, um, and you 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 hear it, and you're still like, "Wait, did he flub the line? Because he's not acting like it. Nobody else is acting like it. Maybe I, just, I didn't know. Maybe my player skipped or something, you know? But no, he definitely yeah, flubbed the line it three times. It happened. It happened at least yeah, and twice. At the, at the end of the third time, I turned on subtitles because <laughs> I had I had to know. Am I just like? Am I just not understanding what he's saying? Or nope, he just. Yeah. That wasn't a word that he said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so we have entirely up to this point skipped over the other major aspect of this epi- this pair of episodes, which is the interpersonal stuff. And that's partly because I don't know what to make of the interpersonal stuff. And it's tied into the mystery in a way that the mystery doesn't make sense. And so the interpersonal stuff is a little bit hard to know what to make of either. Because right at the start, everybody's passed out. And then Barbara wakes up and Ian wakes up. And they, they're sort of like trying to take care of... The doctor has a little bit of a cut on his head. So they're trying to sort of treat him. But so far, medicine in this show consists of either like MacGuffin sci-fi stuff or... Uh, just put water on it. And so they were they were trying to put water on it, which I is like fine for it, tending a wound, I guess. It's always Barbara saying, I'll get him a glass of water. Yeah, I'll get him a, or like I I think they're like wetting a rag and they're rubbing the water on the thing. Which made more sense here, because I think he just has a little cut on his head and he's actually fine. So sure, I guess clean the blood off or whatever. He she also did it in the in the caveman sequence. It is where the, it's like a mortal wound. And it was sort of like, I don't think that this is, that's fine, I guess. I don't know. I think he might leave the blood and let it coagulate if he's like so wounded that he's gonna, he's gonna bleed out. I don't know. I don't know first aid. I haven't had, I haven't had first aid training. Maybe she's doing exactly what she's supposed to be doing. Anyway, then fairly quickly, everybody starts realizing everything's going wrong. Susan in particular keeps on grabbing scissors and trying to like, not really trying to stab people, but holding on to the scissors like she thinks she might need to stab somebody. Since the doors are opening and shutting, they think maybe something evil got on the ship. Which this is where we're really clearly in a different series than later Doctor Who. Because in later Doctor Who, yeah, it would be a spooky ghost that got inside the ship and was possessing someone, right? So I was sort of looking for that plot line, which I guess I was supposed to. They're sort of trying to hint you in that direction. That's that's one of their misdirects. But there's no spooky ghost. Nothing is inside the ship. It's just the ship itself trying to communicate that the button is broken. But before we get there, the doctor decides that he thinks Ian and Barbara have sabotaged the ship. And they're causing all of this to happen. Because they want everybody to to die. No, because they want to blackmail him into taking them back to England. And so they sabotage the ship. To then say, we're not going to tell you what we did unless you take us back to England. But they keep denying it. And they think this is a really horrible thing that he's accusing them of. Does, like... Is that any... What... Does that more or less cover it? (laughs) That more or less covers it. I I think that the... It's an interesting concept. Mm Mm-hmm. I... I wish it it didn't end up being executed so nonsensically. Cause I I do I like the heightened sense of paranoia between the cast. Even though, as you say, the script not the not the mm-hmm. best. Um I don't know, I felt like cranking everybody's personalities way up mm-hmm. gave some opportunities for characters either to grow or at least to just have some action in the story when they when they don't typically. Sure. Um, and I say don't typically. We're we're only what 12 13 episodes in. Yeah. Um Barbara came out of this looking pretty good. Yeah, well that, I'm not a that's Barbara the fan. other thing. This was supposed to be Barbara's big like serial as this is a character that's important that is solving problems that are is solving problems maybe the rest of the group is unable to solve and like maybe the only reason they survived this is because of Barbara. 
And because the mystery doesn't make sense, Barbara winds up kind of taking on this role as like a, a priestess at Delphi, where like she stands up and says a bunch of just absolute nonsense that means nothing. Just absolutely nothing. And then the doctor's going to stand up and interpret for us. And it's going to be something that also doesn't seem like it came from anywhere, but at least you know what it means, right? She connects some dots that Mm -hmm. were light years away from each other. Yeah. I, I... I have done an escape room or two in my time, and I don't know that there is any situation where I would have come up with any of the answers that she came up with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the whole first episode is just presenting the the mystery. It's not trying to give us any of the solutions yet. So it gives us Susan getting the scissors and wanting to attack people. It gives us everybody getting amnesia, everybody getting paranoid. It gives us the doors opening and shutting. It gives us all of the problems, pretty much. And the one moment that I think hit the weirdest was right after the doctor is accusing Ian and Barbara of sabotaging his ship to blackmail him, which doesn't really make any sense as a plan and also doesn't really make any sense as a diagnosis because none of the things that have been happening to them are actually really explained by that. We already know they don't know how to work the ship, so they wouldn't also know how to do most of the stuff that's happening. Anyway... Right after that's happening, the, the way they interrupt that conflict of them shouting at each other is a big audio hit. Like, there's a big a big sound to make you think that, like, a big spooky thing happened and all the actors freak out. But the thing that they're freaking out at is just, like, a, like, it's like a clock, but it doesn't have any, like, wood paneling on the outside of it so you can see the clockwork. And that's all you can really tell is happening on this screen. Is it like, oh, there's, like, a weird clockwork thing that everybody's looking at and freaking out. And Susan is in the corner literally crying on the ground about this clock that they're all looking at. (laughs) And I don't... It's another one of these, they just were really relying on the actors saying things aloud to communicate what was happening. But in this case, they did have a prop. It's just that the prop doesn't communicate any of what they want it to communicate. Being so used to modern uh, kind of film language... Mm Mm-hmm. It will repeatedly strike me as odd that the camera is always focusing on the characters and never on what the characters are talking about. Yeah. And I, I know, a... logically, I know that that is a necessity of the low budget and just kind of the, you know, quick production serial, right? Sure. Uh, but my brain... <laughs> as we I'm get a couple it, shots of no, the clock. I mean, it's, it's played like a jump scare, you know? Like, Barbara's yeah. turning away from the doctor, and then all of a sudden, like, shrieks and jumps backward, and a big, loud, like, noise in the soundtrack, so not something the character, you know, just for the audience, plays, and it kind of carries on for a little while as everybody looks shocked, and it's, like, meant to be a really scary thing that happened, but the scary thing that happened is just that there's a clock there that I guess wasn't there before. I don't actually know where the clock came from. Is it, is it, like, is the, the TARDIS making them hallucinate a clock? That also, I guess, doesn't work. Is the horrible thing that it doesn't work, or is the horrible thing that when they look at a clock, they get, like, a headache or something? It's not clear. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. So, the major conflicts are, one, 
the ship is broken, but two, that all the characters are paranoid and so they're at each other's throats. And the Doctor in particular is demonstrate is continuing to demonstrate that he cares about no one, doesn't trust anybody, the possible exception of Susan, but he's not really prepared to listen to her on Ian and Barbara being trustworthy, even after everything they've been through. The So this, this is culminating in him accusing them of breaking his ship, what they're deeply offended by. Ian actually doesn't care that much. As soon as it becomes clear they didn't do it, then Ian kind of says, Ah, oh, it's fine, Doctor, you don't need to apologize to me, whatever. But... Barbara's going to really hold it against you if you don't apologize to her. And he can't do it because he's not capable of apologizing. Because the only thing that the Doctor is actually capable of doing is deflection. Like, he can get off of a subject, but he can't address it head on. But they recognize that, at least. And there's this mm -hmm. nice minute of chemistry where Ian doesn't... He doesn't need him to apologize. And the doctor even just, like, puts his hand on his shoulder and is like, all right. <laughs> yeah. <you." laughs> Some of that kind of works. Um, so here's another part of the conflict. I, th I think that, that that grew the group. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And uh, just to, to briefly address the conflict a little bit more, a part of the conflict, the, the machine conflict, the why is the ship broken part, that doesn't land now, but in a way that I kind of like. I, I think I mentioned in a previous episode, the thing that happens in if you read, like, Isaac Asimov and there's a lot of aspects of sci-fi that he really gets right but there's also things where he'll be describing this big robot and he'll mention that you can hear the electromagnetic relays clacking around inside his chest to calculate what he's going to do next and you're like oh yeah you didn't know about transistors yet you were writing early enough the transistors didn't exist so you thought all this computation would still be happening with electromagnetic relays like even though you invented a fictional positronic brain that's kind of doing the thing that computers do now, you still have electromagnetic relays inside making things work. And you get that with the way the TARDIS is functioning. In particular, the design of the TARDIS has a fault locator, which is a is a, it works in a way that it's a little bit hard to imagine now. It's kind of like error codes. Where you go and look at the fault locator, and it's got like a dial that flips between letters and numbers. And I guess you're supposed to go look at the manual, or if you really know how to, the thing works, you'll just know off the top of your head what the error codes correspond to. But then in a line, the doctor references the idea that there's a bulb that lights up next to... Which I genuinely wonder if they hadn't made the prop yet. And the writers had the fault locator being a whole... A, like a, a big like switchboard with a whole bunch of bulbs on it. And it would light up next to the thing that was broken. And then the set designers said, yeah, no, we're not going to build a wall of just a million little lights that we have to be able to control individually. How about one readout that has a, a letter and a number? <laughs> but they didn't change the script. Yep. So that part fails. But the other part is, and this is something that is a feature on a lot of old electronics that is kind of before our time. But you might sort of be aware a little bit. You know how a lot of old electronics had, like, a button? Like, they had all the buttons that were just the basic things to make it work, but if you got a fancy one in particular, there would be a button that did a very specific fancy thing that was meant to be, like, a common use case. You would just be a one-button push, and it would take care of it, right? It's a little bit like uh, the pulse function on a blender, where it's, like, a separate button that only does a specific thing that you can already do with the other controls, but they thought it was really fancy to have a separate circuit that just did that one thing. Like, it's not, um, 
in modern user interfaces, then you have a computer controlling it. So you can just make different buttons do whatever you want to do, and it's not a big deal. But back then, you had to design separate circuitry to for any given function. So it sort it took a lot of work to make a button do a specific thing. So that's how the the fast return switch that he's got on the on the board works. Is it's this like clearly this TARDIS is one that had all the bells and whistles on it because he's got one that has the fast return switch that instead of having to manually put in what location and time you want to go back to you can just say take me back to that place i was at before and you can just hit the the fast return switch and it'll go and this is at least true for all of those those convenience buttons that used to be on electronics like imagine like a quick toast button on your toaster that instead of having to configure anything you just like hit the quick toast button and maybe it has like a a configured like setting for how much heat you use they always break. Those buttons break really, really fast, and it always gives the like weird behavior. On the microwave. Yeah, no, all the all the preset buttons on the microwave. You have no idea what they actually do, and also they probably don't even do what the people that designed them wanted them to do because it just it it's not it hasn't been subject to the same amount of quality testing as the other functions of the microwave. Um, so that's just how the quick return switch winds up going. Turns out, if you hold down the quick return switch. For just a, a little too long, the everything is destroyed. You travel back to the beginning of time, and then everything blows up. That's it's a it's a cool switch. If you need a bomb in a pinch, I guess you just put something heavy on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's useful. Although you probably want to blow somewhere up in some time other than the beginning of time. But you know, it's no, because then that just blows up all time. I'm pretty sure oh, the stakes perfect. for this episode were was all of time. Oh yeah, you might be right. They might have been able to destroy literally everything there. So there's a there's another bit that's about how the how the the TARDIS works, and this will get us into sort of the final conflict of which merges the the two conflicts and the mechanical conflict of what's wrong with the ship and the interpersonal conflict. Everybody's at each other's throats. They see the center column on the ship go further down, I think, than it's supposed to. It wasn't very clear why they were all freaking out, but I think it went further down than it was supposed to. And the Doctor's really baffled by this. And they tell us that... Oh, so when you see that column in the middle that goes up and down and it makes the weird mechanical noise that everybody associates with the TARDIS now, that is telling you how much thrust the power source of the TARDIS is putting out. And the power source sits underneath that column. And when the... Uh, when the column goes all the way up, then the power source is free to escape. And that would kill everybody, which sounds like the sort of thing that would be instantaneous, but as soon as somebody mentions this is probably what happens, the doctor turns around and says, we only have ten minutes to live. Why Why ten minutes? Why? Why is that how that works? Who knows? That seems very bizarre. Not clear. But... This means that now all of these characters who were just at each other's throats a minute ago about possibly somebody being the the cause of somebody else dying. Now they're all enjoying their last minutes on on Earth. Well, their last minutes in existence together. Uh, Susan and Barbara kind of go off by the other door and they have a minute together. And the Doctor and Ian have a minute together. The Doctor has a moment where he did something that's at least apparently thoughtful, where when he sends Susan and Barbara away, he then tells Ian, we actually only have five minutes to live, but don't tell them. We don't want them to freak out too much. Which, 
doesn't make a lot of sense as a sparing to their feelings kind of thing, you know? I don't... <laughs> I guess I understand it, but at the same time, I mean, they're all going to be dead anyway, so it doesn't matter what they're feeling. Yeah, I mean, I can see the logic behind saying, we're all going to be dead in ten minutes, and it's going to be sudden. I'm just not going to tell them. I don't want them to have to live their last ten minutes just panicking about the fact that they're going to die in 10 minutes. So there's nothing they can do. Right. It's like when a doctor is giving you a shot and they're like, I'm going to give it to you on, on the count of three, one, two, shoot. Three. Yeah. Yeah. It's that kind yeah. of thing where you don't want them to like freak out too much right before it happens. But if you tell them they have 10 minutes to live and they actually only have five minutes to live, they're still going to panic about as much as they would have. If you told them they only have five minutes to live, you know, and you can see that Barbara and Susan are both still pretty distraught in this moment. They, yeah, they definitely weren't sitting around going, well, it's ten minutes. After five minutes passes, then I'll really... Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it, it... But at least it's... I think it's meant to show some character development on the part of the Doctor. Because prior to this, then he didn't seem to care about any of these people at all. At least Ian and Barbara... And he didn't trust them in all this. Whereas now, he realizes, first of all, that he was wrong about them. Second of all, that they have genuinely been helpful. Even in this serial, he's been perfectly prepared to just throw them out of the TARDIS. Presumably into raw space. This is the most explicitly that he has said, I'm going to throw them out of the TARDIS. And Susan says, no, no, no. Even though she kind of believes him that they must have sabotaged the ship. Susan's like begging him not to, and he says, nope, I have no choice. It's the only thing that can be done. Which is a very bizarre This sequence. translates literally to, I suspect you might be a problem, so I think mm -hmm. I'm just going to kill you. Yeah. Which is super villain talk. Yeah, no, he's just going to space him. Like, yeah. I, I think that might be a worse death than when Darth Vader picks you up and, and chokes you with the Force. Like, I th I think I'd probably rather be strangled by Darth Vader with the Force than just be, like, ejected into space and have my eyes boil and all that. It's it, So, I just, I do wonder about the logistics of this a little bit because I don't think that there's, there's certainly no brig right mm -hmm. uh there's no eject button no mm -hmm. seats from wh by which they can be ejected uh the doctor is just kind of a scrawny old man who you know yeah. as we've seen in every serial so far walks five feet and is instantly winded yeah if he wanted to throw them out of the tardis mm -hmm. they could just punch him he shouldn't have said anything he should mm -hmm. just kept his mouth shut and then hit him with a wrench while they were <laughs> And the the whole thing doesn't even... His hypothesis is that they wanted to force him to take them back to England. And, okay, sure. They've at least, they've certainly talked about, hey, why don't you take us back to England? That'd be really cool if you'd take us back to England. They... If, if you're right, your theory is they broke your ship in a way that they're going to refuse to tell you how they broke your ship until you take them back to England. If you could force them off of the ship right now, you still don't know what they did to your ship. And wouldn't it be a lot easier if you just said, okay, fine, tell me how to fix the ship and then I'll take you back to England. And then you can let them off the ship. 
You want him gone anyway. So two things. Uh huh. One, obviously, that the logic of his accusation makes no sense. Mm-hmm. But I think that I'm okay with it because of the, like that that paranoia. Right? Sure, like, that's the theme of the episode, which again I don't think ever really gets justified. But there's no justification for it. So it's like, why would the TARDIS make everybody paranoid? It's just creating this problem. Is this mm-hmm. just a, a side effect of the TARDIS acting up? I don't know. Yeah. So like, I think at the end of the day, the 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 diagnose like I walk away from these episodes saying. Oh, they had a lot of different ideas that all sounded kind of cool, and they were all up on a chalkboard at some point. And then they had to make an episode, and it had to be out soon, because the Daleks is wrapping up, and they need to get this stuff away to, like, the set designers so that they can actually make this stuff, and we can get the filming, and we're just on the clock. And so, try and get all these ideas in here, and they try pretty hard to get all the ideas in there, but they just don't ever actually give you a good reason for these ideas to be happening. Which was already a problem in something like the Daleks arc. Because there were already a lot of things that happened in those arcs that we were having to say, okay, this is just writer logic. This is happening because it needs to happen for the narrative. It doesn't make a ton of sense. Whatever. But they're just not justifying any of it in this one. Like, they're talking a lot about there being an invisible enemy in the ship. And then they just kind of toss that away. And it's not really clear what is going on with the clocks. And at some point, Barbara is like, the clocks showed us that time was taken away from us. And now it's coming back because it's running out. What? I don't... What? None of that makes any sense. Like, it's it's more... It's further removed than, like, a riddle is from from sensible logic like you're right if it was an escape room it'd be a bad escape room you say how would anybody ever get this <laughs> yeah i i came out of this episode not uh, like n- not really understanding mm-hmm. knowing that there wasn't really anything to have understood mm-hmm. and also just into it <laughs> <laughs> i was it 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 just had the right energy for me. I knew that it was nonsense, mm-hmm. but at least it was exciting nonsense because I think that a lot of the previous serial was very uninteresting nonsense. <laughs> Something tells me, and maybe we'll hear from from fans of of the TARDIS tapes someday, but. My suspicion is that yeah. the Dalek arc is really beloved and this arc is largely forgotten. Obviously, it's a lot shorter. Also, it's just hard to know what people would even latch on to to be really big fans of from this arc. I know. I guarantee you that uh, <laughs> we're going to get emails saying, uh-huh. like, why are you constantly, constantly talking down about the Daleks? But it just wasn't... I just didn't like it. <laughs> I don't... I don't think I would say I didn't like the whole serial. I think I, a lot of your criticisms... I, I didn't like with. the second half. Yeah, yeah. Second half. Okay, yeah. anyway, that this is not an episode about the Daleks. That's already been discussed. If you're sending us emails about the Daleks, that's rough for you, because we can never go back. We don't have a time machine. You're living so, in the past. Yeah, you're living in the past, much like the serial after this one that we can never watch because it's gone. But we'll get there. Anyway, the conclusion of both... We'll, we'll get there. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. The conclusion of both of these arcs is that 
One, the reason that they think the power is gone from the TARDIS, which they never really had a very good reason to think, but whatever. The reason they think the power is gone from the TARDIS is because they've been transported back to the birth of a solar system, which I will note is not the beginning of time, but whatever. The birth of a solar system where all the atoms are flowing around and whatever, and somehow that is sucking away the power from the TARDIS. And so that's causing them to be to not a power. And we get the, the monologue I mentioned earlier where the Doctor is giving this really over over-delivered monologue about the atoms coagulating and forming together to make, you know, molecules and make dust, and then eventually that will become solid entity, and that will become planets and stars and all that. And, and now we know... The time okay, directly at the camera. Yeah, no, he, I honestly, I love William Hartnell a little bit more every time he just barrels the camera and says something to me. Just speak directly to me. <laughs> uh, <Yep. laughs> and... Then you say, okay, well, that, okay, that's fine. That explains the mystery that you only introduced five minutes ago. But what about the bigger one? Why doesn't the ship work? Why is everything else happening? And they say, okay, well, where are we? And that's when they introduce the switch. And we do get, because they think the audience isn't going to understand, we get a demonstration with a little flashlight, which I wonder if they had to rig up this prop separately, because this is not how a flashlight works. But the doctor shows a little flashlight where he says, see, when I push, when I hold down the button, the light's on, but as soon as I let go of the button, then the light turns off again, right? Because it's got a spring in it that pushes it back to the off position whenever I let go. Which Generally, you push it once and the flashlight's on, right. and then you push it again and the flashlight's off. But anyway, yeah. he has one that is only on while you hold the button. And he says, but if the spring broke, then if you push it down, it stays on, and then the light keeps on going. And that's what happened with the fast return button. It got held down... And then it stayed on, and it's still on. It's been on this whole time. And so now the ship has taken us back to the beginning of time, or close to the beginning of time, and it would destroy itself if it kept going back, so it refuses to. And it's trying to communicate to us that the button's broken. And that's why if we go near any control except for this button, then we it, we get a headache and get amnesia. And that's why it keeps on get, making us hallucinate clocks that don't work. And opening and closing the doors and putting weird visuals on the screen. Uh, it's trying to communicate that to us. I unironically really like that about 45, approaching 50 minutes of television mm -hmm. just came down to, oops, the button got stuck. Yep. Yeah. And they it's, really it's thought like... that the audience wasn't going to get that. Like, there's even kind of a weird contrived thing where That's Ian's standard. like, wait, where's the button that, that that happened with? And the doctor says, well, I can hardly be expected to see without a light, can I? And he fishes around for a button for a minute, for, for a light. And they cut away from it and he comes back, okay, I've got the flashlight. And then they do it and then they fix it. And then they have a separate scene where they're like, oh, we're all saved. But it was a close squeak. And then... Susan has to go to her grandfather and say, but, okay, what happened? And he has to explain. See, here's his flashlight. When I push it down, blah, blah, blah. And if the spring was gone, then it would just stay on the whole time. And that's just not... It, it, it's electromagnetic relays, right? It's a story about how the like, crazy futuristic aliens 
are like trying they need to go back and fix their computer because a bug got stuck in one of the electromagnetic relays so it's not calculating properly and you're like that's not if they had that advanced technology they wouldn't be doing they wouldn't be using that right this isn't this isn't how a time machine would work but that's maybe that's maybe I, I don't even mean that as a criticism that's fun I think it's a lot of fun when the aliens have big electromagnetic relay computers and that kind of thing. Um, it, it dates the sci-fi. It makes it very clear when it was being written. But I think that's I think that's kind of interesting in its own way. And finally, the Doctor kind of sort of not really apologizes to Ian. And a little bit more, but still not really, apologizes to Barbara. And does tell her that she's important because she was trying to emotionally connect to the ship and nobody else was. I think that was about as close as you can get to an apology without saying the words I apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would consider it an apology. Yeah. It, I mean, she clearly, like, by the end of it, was like, okay, he's being really warm and sweet to me at least and has gone out of his way to bring me clothes for this new planet we're on and whatever. Um, and by the end of it, she's smiling and saying, okay, yeah, let's go. And he says, you know, you're really valuable. We have to take care of you. So he's he's going out, you know, I I think that actually worked pretty well. And that was probably the strongest moment of the this couple of episodes was, all right, you've created a whole bunch of conflicts that don't make sense to me, so I don't care as much about them. But you're ending with a catharsis from conflicts that I didn't care about that much because I didn't understand them. But... The way that you're doing that is actually kind of a, a cute way of showing how this character is flawed in his ability to actually address, I mean, among other things, his own flaws. But he still is, is recognizing when other people are understanding him well enough to be able to sort of meet him halfway. Um, and that at least, that says that says something that I think is is valuable. And I want to review the cliffhangers really quick. We opened on a cliffhanger, which is the ship shaking around and them all falling on the ground. Then we have a cliffhanger in the middle, which is when, and this these episodes are wild enough, we just completely skipped over the part where the doctor went and drugged everybody. Um, but there's a part where the doctor drugs everybody to get him to go to sleep so that he can go and try and fix the ship. And Ian re- realizes he's getting drugged so he doesn't take the doesn't drink the tea and as the doctor goes to try and mess with the controls we get hands from behind him grabbing his neck like he's gonna be strangled but we this revealed that this was just ian trying to pull him away from the console because he knows that when people touch the console they get electrocuted doesn't doesn't make a ton of sense not even a thing. Yeah. Yeah. We're, I we're forgot gonna, about that. We're going to skip over the drugging thing, partly because it does undermine the entire character arc then later of everybody being like, you threatened to space us and accused us of betraying you in a way that didn't make any sense. And then you drugged us. And now you still can't even say the words, I'm sorry. Um, I don't think that the any of the final stuff actually works if you like factor in all the things that actually happened. But I almost don't want to because, again, the, the the ideas behind the script are so all over the place that I feel like I shouldn't even consider some of the things that literally happened in the episodes as, like, final and canon, you know? 
Like, yeah, he drugged everybody, but eh, they'd had a little bit more time to work on it. They would have found a way to get him at that console without drugging everybody, so it's fine. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And the final cliffhanger, which is, this is where we end these two episodes and then begin another story, which is, is its own barrel of fun. They have landed on an ice... All we know is that it's some kind of icy setting that they've landed in. Maybe it's some ice planet. Maybe it's Hoth or something. But they uh, they all put on warm clothes because it's it's gonna be it's gonna be cold outside. That's partly why Barbara feels taken care of because she gets given some some very warm clothes. And they go outside to see what's going on. Susan throws a snowball and they say, "Doctor, look! This giant footprint. Th- you know, this footprint looks like a, a the footprint of a giant." And the camera zooms down, and uh, Susan is crouching over this this footprint, and it's a relatively large, maybe human footprint. I wouldn't even say it looks like maybe a size like size twelve, size fourteen. You know, it's a it's a largest foot that somebody has stepped in this snow with, and that's the that's the cliffhanger. Uh, not a not a big foot, but like a large foot. Yeah, yeah, like a large foot. Like I don't know why we're saying that this is some kind of giant. Like this does not strike me as myth, like a mythological footprint. This seems like I don't know. This guy is probably above six feet, or like that. That would you know, it's not it's not quite sideshow Bob, but it's it's largish. And you and I will never get to see what follows up this this little. Nor will, I think, probably anybody that ever hears this podcast. Theoretically, I think there are humans alive that have seen this. And maybe we can convince a couple of them to listen to this podcast. So we can say somebody associated with this has seen these episodes. Because they don't exist anymore. Um, BBC, there's a a few things that have happened here. And I'd have to look at the specifics to see what the issue was. They used to get rid of some of their master tapes just to make space. And also they had a couple fires where they lost some tapes. And so there are a number of episodes of this show that are just gone, including the entire next serial. Uh, so we have at the end of this episode that we just watched, next time, uh, the, the Roof of the World is the name of the next episode. I, th- I think the whole serial is just called Marco Polo. And we uh, we can see we can yep. see a plot synopsis there are people alive that have seen it and can describe it to you but the the actual episodes just can't can't be seen unless unless somebody has dug something up in some warehouse somewhere and it turns out that actually a copy still exists that i don't know about but at least last i've heard they are just unavailable which i think is fun it's a it's a bummer that the first Doctor Who episode to feature a an historical figure. Yeah. No, I'm I'm Rather a little bit disappointed. So it's like, uh, yeah. So we'll just quickly go through. You know, I I will quickly describe what I read as a plot synopsis on Wikipedia, which you could also just go read if you want to. But basically, the gang shows up and they run into Marco Polo as he's on his journey to meet with Kublai Khan, the Great Emperor. Uh, in 1299, I believe. And along the way, they run into somebody else that is like a like an assassin that tries to sabotage them and also wants to murder the emperor. And then 
I think there's a big court scene at some point. But anyway, ultimately, they wind up uh, saving the Emperor's life from this assassin and also making him feel good about Marco Polo again in a way that then the Emperor sends them away with good graces. And they've saved the day and, uh, most importantly, saved the European representative from being, um, you know, thought ill of by by the, the, the great emperor, Kublai Khan. I, I bet there's stuff in these episodes I would have been real mad about. You know? Probably, yeah. Like. Maybe it's, maybe it's better that we don't see them. Like, I've been nervous up until now of like, oh man, at some point they're going to try and put like Genghis Khan or something in this show and I'm going to hate it. And we're, uh, you know, we'll still, but it's probably going to be a while before they come back to Mongols because they just, they just put Kublai Khan in and then a fire saved the rest of us from it. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure we have listeners who think that these episodes were great uh, and more power to them. I, I haven't seen them. Obviously I can't say but it's probably going to be a while before they come back to Mongols. So without having looked into more like what the next episodes coming up are, like what's the next historical figure we're going to see? Maybe like a Julius Caesar or something? Alexander the Great? I want to guess more recent. We, we went to fairly mm. ancient history with Marco Polo. I want to say something like 1700s or later. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to be in Europe if we're 1700s or later, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't think that there's... I don't think that's where these writers would take the show in that historical period. So I think it's I think it's just going to be Europe. So I, 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 Napoleon, you could easily do Napoleon, right? You could easily imagine Napoleon is going to show up in this show at some point. Or we could go way back and get like a Hammurabi. I don't know. Gilgamesh. Like you see how all of these feel like they're going to be extremely bad. Eh, uh, I mean, I can't prejudge. I think sure, be yeah, a little tactless. Got to give the writers some credit, you know. Give them at least a chance to try and have a take on some of this history. Um, maybe it will be a little bit more nuanced than the Thals and the Daleks. You know. Do you think do you think nuance is a strength of these writers? No, not yet. <laughs> All right. I I do get I I get glimpses of it like at the end of this episode. Sure. Uh, the one that we just just did, you know. Mhm. We're we're getting there. They're figuring things out. I mean, the character work I think has been consistently pretty good. And I think that the acting has occasionally been overdone. And again, I don't usually fault the actors for it. Although, I don't know, Susan's going a little crazy sometimes in a way that I'm like, this doesn't, this doesn't need to go like this. Like the way she read the line when she looks out of the door and she says, it's Fair. just space. It's like, uh, I don't, hmm. <laughs> I'm going to have to rewatch that to, to know what you're talking about. Yeah. You you should go and rewatch the monologue and come back next time and tell me what you thought about the monologue. Rewatching okay. it for the explicit purpose of assessing the monologue. Because it's rough. I hope he was only seeing those lines for the first time as he's talking. Uh, awesome. Okay. Well, any any other final thoughts? Anything we missed about these episodes? 
Uh, I got a real quick trivia segment for you. Ooh. If you're interested. We need a, we need a theme song for our trivia segment. It's trivia time. Ba -da -ba -ba. All right, go. Yeah, that's great. Short and quick. Uh, mm -hmm. Verity Lambert, the producer for this, uh, mm -hmm. had to write a letter of apology after the BBC Children's Department made it known that they felt it was an unwise decision to show Susan acting out violently with a pair of scissors. Mm. Now, yeah, she Wikipedia did stab that bed a few times. I don't, yeah, I, yeah. I don't have the Wikipedia page in front of me. I could have sworn the Wikipedia page didn't say BBC Children's Department. Which uh -huh. sheds maybe a different light on this. I think it just said BBC on the Wikipedia page, and I thought, it's, yeah, they're being a yeah. little stringent with these rules. If she can't just hold scissors, she doesn't even mm -hmm. stab anybody. They have a whole department, and their whole job is just to watch everything that the BBC makes, and then complain and say, "But what about the children? What about the children?" Yeah. This is the cheapest Doctor Who story ever made. 2000 sure and it sure seems like it i mean you were talking last time about yeah, how essentially this was the crew this was partly them writing this not sure yet whether doctor who was going to be a thing so this is them kind of buying time to wait for production decisions about whether they're going to have a budget so all right how could we spend no money how about a bottle episode how about we're just in the ship we already have a set for that we already had to build that for the pilot, so how about we just stay in that set the whole time? And, you know, here we are. <laughs> well, on that note, final piece of trivia, and this is spoilers for the rest of all of Doctor Who. Uh-huh. This is the first and arguably only televised Doctor Who story to entirely take place in the TARDIS. All they right. never do this again. In... And I don't know if that refers to New Who or if it's just Classic Who, so I'm just going to assume for the next 300 episodes of this classic TV show we're watching, they never uh -huh. do another bottle episode inside the TARDIS again. Which is Yeah, surprising. I mean, that's I probably... one of these out once a season. That's probably for the best. But, you know, it's got heart. They're trying. It had heart. It had some character development. I think it had our first hints of actual nuance in the writing. Uh, mm -hmm. I like most of the ingredients. I just don't necessarily like the uh, the uncooked dish <laughs> that came out of the <laughs> oven. Uh huh. I I would say overall, I was actually I was I was pretty into this. I found the whole thing exciting. Um, sure. Well, and like you know. You, you've watched a lot more David Lynch than me, so you're a lot more comfortable with the idea of there's intriguing things happening that don't make sense, and I'm not expecting them to ever make sense. They're just intriguing, and I don't know why they're happening, but they make me think. Right, it's just important. It's just important how it makes you feel even more, <laughs> even uh -huh. more than uh, how it makes you think. Why yeah, are the beds like that? The beds look so uncomfortable. Yeah. Are they just like that in this episode, or are they like that for the rest of time? Probably for the rest of time. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Spoilers for the rest of time. Mm-hmm. The beds are like that. <laughs> was Susan wearing well, her shirt backwards for, like, this whole serial? Her collar on the front <laughs> was so high. It was making me uncomfortable. 
Uh, I think that was the least of their of their set issues. Um, the, I guess no, their wardrobe my, my, stuff my has generally been fine. The, this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from, uh, yeah, from well, the uh, low budget Mortal Kombat characters of the last episode to mm-hmm. the high, co- like Adam's apple covering collar <laughs> of mm-hmm. this episode. Thanks for listening to the TARDIS tapes. Yeah. Uh, next time we are going to be covering. Let's see how many episodes is this. Hold on. Um, we are going to be covering some portion of the Keys of Marinus. Uh, I think it's six episodes, so we'll probably do this, three of them. Sounds cool. Yeah, uh, I'm interested. It's got Terry Nation back writing, which he's the guy who did the Daleks, so maybe he's found some more nuance this time. And Next feelings. Yeah, and yeah, we're we're not we're not historical figures anymore. It is a little bit of a shame that we missed out on on Marco Polo and all that. But uh, anyway. I'm 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 looking forward to it. I'll, I'll give you a teaser for for this upcoming serial. Mm-hmm. First sentence of the synopsis: uh, mm-hmm. The TARDIS arrives on the planet Marinus on an island of glass surrounded by a sea of acid, and I'm on board. Yeah, I'm not right. reading more than that. I don't want to spoil it, but I, I read the first sentence and I didn't I didn't regret anything. Sure. All right. Cool. Uh, let's see. Meantime, we're going to try and actually put these episodes up and have an RSS feed and all that and possibly have that done by the time we're putting out the next episode. So you, the listener, may in fact be waiting for us to record this next episode before you can hear it. Probably not. We'll see. Anyway, this has been the TARDIS Tapes. And if that sounds weird, just say it a few times and, and maybe it'll start to start to sound better to you. Or if you want... And if it doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. who let the you dog out? You can just out, say, which is still who let the dog out in your head every time we say the TARDIS tapes. I won't hold it against you. You can think of it as the subtitle, or the secret title, or whatever you want. Secret title? Secret title. This is TARDIS tapes, signing off. Bye. The TARDIS tapes is an amateur production by Christian and Drake, released every other Thursday. Give or take. Any character's similarities to real or imagined persons are purely coincidental, and unquestionably fair use. Special thanks to Stephen Kelly, an absolutely smashing guy, for help with the theme music. Follow us on Twitter at TARDIS Tapes, or email us at TARDISTAPES at gmail.com. But be nice, please.